Welcome to Be Customer-Led, where we'll explore how leading experts in customer and employee experience are navigating organizations through their own journey to be customer-led and the actions and behaviors employees and businesses exhibit to get there. And now, your host, Bill Stagos. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another week of Be Customer-Led. I'm your host, Bill Stakos. I've got a great guest for us this week. Kevin Budelman is interested in strategic design for business, education, healthcare, and society. Those are really big things for, for one person to be focused on. Kevin is president and co-founder of People Design, co-founded the company over 20 years ago, I believe, and we'll get into that a little bit. And People Design is a strategy and human-centered design firm based in Michigan. And besides serving as an advisor to clients, Kevin is also an adjunct professor, excuse me, at Northwestern University and is the former global president of the IXDA or the Interaction Design Association, which is a great organization and or was, I should say, and holds degrees from Carnegie Mellon University, which has an unbelievable design program. I've hired someone out of that program in a past life and the IIT Institute of Design. And Kevin has a book. Uh, brand identity essentials, and it's available not only in six languages but also as a second edition. Kevin, welcome to the show. So so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm I'm pleased and honored to be here. Man, I can't. So there's so much like to talk to you about. I know we've got about 30 minutes for a show, but <laughs> I'm curious. Like you started People Design over 20 years ago, I believe. Just That's tell right. us, tell our listeners just a little bit about your story, and because. You come from really big design organizations, and you've got a fascinating story. So just share it with us for a couple minutes. Sure, absolutely. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I, well, as you mentioned, I, I, I went to my undergraduate work at uh, Carnegie Mellon at Pittsburgh. And if you're familiar with Carnegie Mellon, it has a good design program, as you mentioned, but it's also a very uh, technology-oriented school, a lot, of tech, a lot of engineers and computer science. And so I was exposed pretty early on to not only human-centered design concepts, but a pretty heavy dose of technology as well. And of course, this is sort of early days in interaction design and user experience design and so on. So I think that has sort of fed into my sort of my psyche <laughs> throughout my career. And so, and then after college, I got a job at Herman Miller, a manufacturer in the Midwest, which is kind of a design leader yeah. in the furniture design space, but a more sort of a traditional sense. But but that kind of led into this sort of the dot-com era. And so I mean, my experience has been kind of based on this sort of technology front, but then sort of this more traditional sort of company, sort of manufacturing base in particular, which mm -hmm. has been informed by practice. And so, and then, yeah, this, so not too long into my career, started this company. I've been doing that for uh, 25 years. Unbelievable. So tell us a little bit about people design before we get, before we start sort of extracting information from your brain a little bit for listeners. So, <laughs> sure. um, you work with clients at the intersection of business, brand, service design. So what does that mean if you can help our, our listeners and our audience understand that? And, and how are you working with clients? Like what's like a typical engagement? Sure. Well, so I, we think about it like this. There, there's kind of a, there's a, a framework. If, if you can imagine a two by two, if you imagine sort of a meaning and engagement across the top and across the side, you can imagine sort of internal and external audiences. And if you think about the intersection of, meaning for external audiences like customers, it's brand, essentially. Mm. And if you think about meaning for internal audiences, it's essentially purpose, mm -hmm. right? Um, and you think about the intersection of engagement and customers as customer experience and, and engagement and internal teams, it's employee experience. So for us, it's just a way to think about kind of these 
in our minds, these these two kind of you know, macro issues: engagement and and uh, and it kind of overlaps. So our projects are based on sort of design thinking approaches mm-hmm. for the most part, you know, innovation processes that are, you know, established in a lot, a lot of places. And we have our own flavor for, for doing these things, of course. But it's, it's based on going through kind of methods that to mm-hmm. solve kind of strategic problems. And it's, it can bridge brand issues and customer experience issues. And I think for us, these things are quite related. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not always true for everyone, but for us, it's about connecting those dots. So I love that. So let's talk about purpose for a second. So I think largely due to the pandemic, not that brand, you know, purpose wasn't important before, but certainly the, the pandemic really brought that conversation to the fore much more. Yeah. Why, like, help us understand, maybe for sort of the folks that are not in, in marketing or from an employee experience pr- perspective, talk to us a little about the interconnectivity of purpose and brand, because I think that's a really important one. And there is an intersection there, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think there's, for us, what, what informs our work is the idea of, we think about change and choice. And what I mean by that is we are, all of us are undergoing this sort of macro level of change. I mean, mm-hmm. whether it's technology change, globalization, climate change, these things are informing nearly everybody's work today, right? Mm-hmm. And I think these changes are forcing organizations to make different kinds of choices. And the landscape is, continues to kind of shift from kind of a, let's say, an industrial landscape which I think had a different set of criteria for success than kind of an information landscape. Hmm. And so the choices I think organizations have to make have to do with sort of this meaning and engagement, as I mentioned. But as it relates to purpose, I think that, and as you mentioned, you know, like the pandemic, I'm sort of a believer that the pandemic obviously has a lot of unique characteristics, but in Hmm. many ways, it's also just accelerated trends that were already underway. I mean, Hmm. so whether it's working from home, sort of breaking apart sort of the 40-hour work week. I mean, there, there are lots of things that were, I, there were undercurrents of these, these mm-hmm. sort of nascent trends already before the pandemic, and the pandemic had just kind of brought them to the fore. I think as it pertains to, to purpose, the reason why we talk about meaning is that I think increasingly, uh, we talk about in our organization kind of an era of choice. We've moved from this, the industrial landscape was like, I think it was Henry Ford who famously said, you can have any color you want, any, any color car you want as long as it's black, black right? Yeah, that's right? The industrial era wasn't about choice. It was just about scale. It was about mm. getting a car into everybody's mm-hmm. garage. And now we have many more choices. Consumers have choices. Individuals have choices. And so it, the, the, in our minds, the overlap between brand and purpose, as I mentioned, is meaning. And, and, mm-hmm. our, and from our standpoint, the reason why you would choose as a customer to work to engage with a company and buy their product or engage in their service is very similar to the same to the reason why an employee would want to work there and we are for many organizations who are looking for top talent i mean the the sort of the the attraction and retention is is a massive issue and so from our perspective these these things are overlap and i think it's not always intuitive i think for people i think it's like we worked for example, with a, a university that had that was one department that was actually the marketing group recruiting high school kids into their you know undergraduate program, and another department it wasn't so much attraction and retention, but it was about do- giving donations to the school, right? So it was sort of fundraising development, and they had two, and, yeah, and they, and they had two separate tracks. So again, they often had two separate messages that were they were launching simultaneously, and we said, look, these things need to be connected. Like mm-hmm. the reason you would give money to the school is very related to the same to the reason why you'd send your kid to the school. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you know, it's similar for sort of the, the idea of employee 
meaning the employee engagement. Another way to think, think about sort of purpose. The reason, so I think that the pandemic has just highlighted, as I sort of accelerated these trends and highlighted people's, their ability to make these choices have put the onus on these organizations to be clear about what their purpose actually is. And, and that acceleration, I mean, I, I get that there were some companies, certainly before the pandemic, that were really getting that. And I think that their message just become, became even louder, right? You, like, look at like, Patagonia is a great example of right. that on some level, right? Tesla, even on some level. Why, why is that so hard to do, though, right? Like, <laughs> if a pandemic accelerated that and people are like, oh my gosh, we really got to double down on this effort. Why did it need that pandemic? And I hate to focus on this on the pandemic. Sure. I'm, like, I'm ready to get past it just like everybody else. But like, yeah. why yeah. did it take that to, to wake people up to the fact that more effort needs to be put here, resources, et cetera, in the organization and cross-collaboratively cross across an organization as well? Is it just because it's hard work and different groups need to come together? Is it people weren't really seeing the need for it? Or what's your take on that? I'm curious. I mean, I mean my, my feeling is that the, it, because it's an accelerant, we moved from a state where it was kind of the, the proverbial, you know, frog in the water that's slowly getting warmer and starts <laughs> to boil. I mean, what happens is that it's hard to see changes when they're slow moving and, and mm. organizations and people resist change. I mean, I, mm. I, I feel like in some respects, we're sort of in the change business, which is to say helping organizations navigate these these macro changes. Mm-hmm. So what is, what is the impact on their organization? And so I think that the, the extent to which the pandemic just had this sudden change, I think, you know, it, it was very jarring. But again, but some of these pr- trends you could, have, you could have predicted and kind of were already uh, underway, mm-hmm. but it just it sort of, it forced the issue, right? Mm-hmm. So Simon Sinek has been out and do- talking about start with why for some yeah. time. So it's yeah. not like yeah. the purpose discussion was already kind of out there, but it was, I think it was, it was easy to see as kind of more uh, superfluous in some cases. Some mm-hmm. people would say like, yeah, that sounds cool. Or let's, <laughs> let's talk about that when it comes to recruiting or like, we got to get those millennials in here or whatever it is. <laughs> but I mean, I think what's happened now is that you have, you're having direct conflicts with key employees saying, I don't think I want to go back to the office or right. I would like to start working from some other city. And I, and, 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 if, and if you don't accept my terms, Mr. Or Miss employer, I just find another, another employer who's willing to accept those, those conditions. And even some of the best employers in the world, I mean, it's like, I think Apple famously is, you know, they keep, mm-hmm. I think they've made two or three announcements about everybody coming back to their huge, beautiful campus that people are, not necessarily wanting to do that. Some of them are really important people. And so I think everyone is starting to, it's forcing an organization to be a little bit clear about why should you work for this organization? Obviously there's money and, but getting over this, the, the obstacle of thinking about purpose is, is, it can be hard because in part, as I mentioned, I think that for a lot of organizations that were, I think, born out of, let's say the late stage kind of industrial era, where you're just, there's a lot of sort of fast follower kind of models mm-hmm. where it's just like, we don't really have a purpose so much as we're going to copy that company and do it like slightly <laughs> better, we hope. That's not much of a purpose. So ultimately right. in terms of trying to attract a really talented person who says like, look, join our, get on board with our mission. I, I worked for a bank at one point not too long ago where their new mantra was being customer obsessed. I'm like, I've heard this one before. I wonder where that comes <laughs> yeah. from. But it almost, to your point, though, it kind of, it fell hollow on a lot of folks because the organization was not giving them the tools, the resources, the platforms to be able to be customer obsessed, much like an Amazon does in so Mm -hmm. many different ways. And it was tough for folks to say, okay, I want to be there. I hear you, but 
we're not getting there because you can't do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. That same institution, yeah. by the way, is telling people to come back to the office <laughs> yeah, no right. matter what. I do wonder sometimes, and I see this a lot purely more on the, on the customer experience side, and I wonder if it's sometimes due to, in a lot of places, your customer experience function could be different or not connected to your marketing function as well. Like, mm-hmm. There's so much out there that is also confusing, I think, and people are just kind of like just working in their lanes. Are you seeing a shift there as well? And maybe that's driven by the pandemic or otherwise, but in your work and the clients that you're working with, are they trying to get to a place where they can employ sort of service design or human-centered design tools in, in a much more integrated and, and cross-functional way? Or are they still in, okay, we want to do this, but we want marketing to do their job and CX to do their job and finance to do their job, et cetera? Yeah. I mean, I think everybody is in their own sort of state of evolution in a sense, right? I mean, it's so one of the things that we overtly try to do in initial engagement with a new customer is try to understand where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. And there are all these signals in terms of how, what, how do they describe their functions and departments? What terms do they use? And just even what do these ideas mean to them? Do they have they thought about, do they have this mature practice or are they just learning about it on sort of, sort of more a more basic level? Which isn't to say that we have it all figured out. I mean, I think all of us, yourself included, right? We're all, this is, I think these are new topics, frankly. Mm-hmm. I think that I've often, I've, I've sort of, sort of developed kind of a philosophy that we sort of have drawn our departmental boundaries kind of in the wrong places in part. I think that, again, it's an, a bit of an industrial paradigm. I think we've had, every organization has its silos, right? Mm-hmm. Where marketing is a silo and customer service is a silo mm-hmm. and sales is a silo and operations is a silo. And it's, it's understandable why. And it, cause, because I actually think that, again, sort of the industrial mindset is, is, yeah. is almost like you think about it as an assembly line, literally, right? So you can move from one department to another. Yeah. And of course, if you look at it for, through the lens of a customer, they don't care which department is, hap- is, 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 is making these things happen. They just have an experience and they have an impression. Yeah. And so I think it's reorienting an organization to start thinking this way. And I think it's, while it's very popular and, and has been for the last, you know, nearly my whole career to talk about cross-functional teams, I think that the reality for most people in a, in a corporate environment is that the combination of shared calendaring and cross-functional teams means that everybody's in meetings all the time, and, yeah. <laughs> right? Which I don't know if that's effective either, right? That's right. I mean, so I think that the, you see the emergence of different kinds of disciplines. So I think the idea of talking about customer experience as an example is just just saying that it's a having a department or having a, a person, a leader in that space is at least a planting a flag to say, mm-hmm. this is an important thing to mm-hmm. actually think mm-hmm. about. Now, what that actually means on the ground for an organization and depending on its scale can, can vary. So I'm seeing a lot more, I feel like we went from departmental silos to being, pro, they're called product-led organizations, right? That kind right, of feels right. like it's the new big kind of uh, yeah. term. The ones that are getting it more and maybe taking it from product to something new is really being much more journey driven mm-hmm. um, and even organizing that way. Do you see something different? Like when you, like th- the clients that you're working with that are just completely enlightened by this stuff, how are they organized for success? Because I'm always fascinated by how do you go from purpose to an actual product or service to employees actually knowing what they're supposed to do and deliver that with excellence every day and wanting yeah. to, right? Because they're connected to that purpose. And then the customer even there. 
and that may lead into my, my next question a little bit, but what kind of models are you seeing the, the companies that are getting it right? What are they doing differently organizationally? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's interesting. I had a, a colleague of mine who was uh, actually head of the global design team at IBM, and he was describing for me how part of his objective was to basically uh, create design leadership at the GM level within each of these sort of macro parts mm-hmm. of the organization to kind of ride alongside the business lead mm-hmm. to sort of evangelize these ideas. So I think he saw his role as kind of an evangelist, essentially. Mm-hmm. I think that there, there, there are different kinds of structures. I think that one of the indicators are whether or not people are investing in this in the first place. But I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of dialogue about, at least in the design world, they talk about design ops has become increasingly this, yeah. this term du jour, right? Or just even having a customer experience group or a leader in that, in that space. Yeah. I think there are different models. I, I, my belief is that a lot of it should be journey-based, I, I think. I think mm-hmm. that, I mean, the way we connect these ideas too is to think about it as, if you think about a brand or a value proposition as a kind of promise that you're you're staking a claim in the marketplace mm-hmm. about we're we're going we're going to represent this to our customers or our stakeholders or our employees for that matter the journey the actual experience is the way you're delivering on that promise and in my mind it's like nearly everything the organization does should be in service of delivering on that promise now how that happens under the hood it can vary based on there are lots of there are complexities. I, mm-hmm. I think about it as a systems design problem in a sense because there's there there are digital interactions, there are physical mm-hmm. interactions, mm-hmm. there are personal interactions, some combination of these things. There are, there are new opportunities with new technology to convert physical ones to become digital ones. Mm-hmm. There may be price reasons to do that, also data mining reasons to do it. Sure. So it's it's a, there's this continued flow, but. I think, yeah, the, the journey, it's a bit of a cliche, but I think it's its sort of an endless trying to put yourself in the customer's shoes, right? I mean, this is yeah. the whole, it's like there's kind of a trying to get people to to buy into the philosophy so you can actually get into the to the practice. Yeah, interesting. I like in my, where I am at Medalla, a lot, there's a lot of conversation among organizations about connecting that purpose right down and through brand into the experience that's being mm-hmm. delivered. This is really hard work, by the way. Like it's not I mean, yeah. it's not yeah. like, hey, we're gonna do this and in six months we're gonna get this mostly. What questions should folks be asking themselves to understand that connection and maybe even get to start doing the work? I feel like I'm a big believer in, in trying to understand like, okay, not just what is a problem, but what are the right questions that we should be asking ourselves as a business? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. what are some of the things that maybe you're bringing to the conversation with clients and asking them that they should start to be thinking about and answering as an organization to be able to start to connect those things through. Yeah, I think, I mean, it, it, it sounds, it's interesting because I think, the, I mean, the, the starting place is always this question of like the looking at the customer first and it could be customer centered in the first place or user centered. Yeah. And I mean, I think for people who have been in this practice for a long time, it seems obvious, but as I say, I mean, I just literally had an experience not too long ago with an executive and I was, it was funny, they were, I was on one of their jet, corporate jet things or flying around and I just kind of made this, you know, so you got to look at the customer and you and you get like half time flip it around. You have basically yeah. have to, yeah. and it was, kind of, it was like a light bulb moment for him. Like he just literally had never really thought of it. So in a way that's basic, but then it goes from there. I think there are lots of tenants, like one, one of them that we, we sort of subscribe to is the idea of that organizations need to absorb complexity. I think that one of the, again, the industrial paradigms that we've all become accustomed to, whether it's through 
Six Sigma and the quality movement is it's it sort of and, and even like the outsourcing movement, like where basically you you stick to your core competency and you outsource all the other complexity. Yeah. Well, what's happened is that I think that there's there's an argument to, that can be made that to create better and often that means simpler experiences for the customer, the organization has to deliberately take on more complexity. Which is almost like for, for a lot of organizations that they're designed to repel that almost like a disease, right? But they don't want to take on any more complexity because yeah, it just means yeah. cost. And they're always trying to whittle down cost. But in order to create that better experience, there has to be a deliberate kind of an understanding and a, and a belief that they need to take on additional things in order to make it easier for that customer. So as an, as an example, so I mean, I think that there are, there are sort of lenses that you can look at these things to try to think about the customer experience. We, had, we, we wrote a piece not long ago on like 25 lenses for a customer experience as an example, just as a way to look at this journey and for a variety of different ways, looking at it in terms of inputs and outputs, looking mm-hmm. at it as a, as a story arc, mm-hmm. looking at it as, it as time increments, interactions along the way, what are the incremental stuff versus the, mm-hmm. the small pictures versus the big pictures. So there's a lot to be done, as you well know, in this space, but so much of it is like getting people on board, like sort of conceptual, like what are we actually trying to achieve here mm-hmm. in terms of the, and again, it's like we want to be meaningful. We have to engage these people in order to engage them. And there's a lot in our minds, but baked with those words, I mean, you have to, yeah. you have to know who's on the other, other side of the table, which kind of implies user research and customer research. So, yeah, I do think sometimes, I mean, and this is really hard to do still, even because the technology doesn't exist to be able to do it on some level, but connecting the employee journey and the customer journey to understand the impact and the flow that way. You can do that with data on some level, right? Like what are the behaviors that drive better journeys and sort of in the moment, et cetera. But I think we're probably like a couple of years off from like truly being able to connect the two and understand the impact of these. I want to take it down maybe into service design and just kind of keep on kind of going down the layers here a little bit. Sure. How would you characterize service design differently than other design work, perhaps. Just there may be listeners that aren't familiar with, with the term. Sure. And why is it important in the context of, of customer experience or even perhaps like big CX, right? As we, right. As we call it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, and I'm sure you, you could fill in also a lot of these bikes, I'm sure. But I think that the, in my experience, there's a lot because so many of these disciplines are emerging still and kind mm-hmm. of being defined on the fly. And we're still, we'll, start, we'll all be reading a book that it's being written right now, <laughs> probably next year. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, and I think it's because the, there, there, there are new things. There's a lot of new ideas yeah. emerging, but as a result, there's not always an agreement even on terms, I believe. Mm. So one of the basics is even customer versus user, mm-hmm. right? User language comes more from, usually from the design world. And it's a bit more of a, there's an implication about usability mm-hmm. and sort of user-centeredness in that, in that sense. And whereas, obviously, customer has this implication about the business objective and profitability, let's say. Yeah. And, of course, I, and I've worked with organizations who see, the, see almost these, these two things as sort of almost like internally they're enemies, right? Like the, the people who are advocating for the users, are they don't like the marketing people yeah, <laughs> and yeah, vice yeah. versa. And obviously, the organizations who can make these things work together are the ones who are going to succeed. So anyway, to answer your question more directly, yeah. I think the, the term service design, again, design is, in my experience, has been more common in, in Europe 
It's, it's pretty well understood. In fact, I was just talking to a client of ours who's based in Europe, and that part of you know, the question from the, the, the project advocate was saying, how can I, I can't find any service designers in, in North America. They're trying to hire in North America. Interesting. And I said, it's because people don't use that term here. That's part of my answer, right? I mean, yeah. people use other words. They talk about user experience or they, yeah. they talk about customer experience. Yeah. But of course, I don't mean to you know, trivialize the fact that those terms that, that also imply that people are coming from very different world sometimes, right? I mean, they might be coming from the hospitality world and customer service world mm -hmm. and have nothing to do with design at all. Correct. And then other people are looking at it from kind of a user. So it's kind of top down, bottom up in a sense. But so, so I think, you know, I, I think people can debate about the difference between say service design versus customer experience. I mean, it's kind of like service design is an activity to work on that journey. Customer experience is a philosophy of looking at the whole yeah. umbrella. They very much overlap and people would debate, just like people would debate maybe even the difference between user experience and customer experience. But like, at what point is the customer a user or the user a customer? I mean, <laughs> at some point we're, we're, we're kind of, you know, splitting hairs in, in my view anyway, but. I agree. I think that we generally have, and we, I mean, towards the top of the show, we talked a little bit about this, but like we've put a lot of complexity and I, I don't know who started this or like where it started, but there was so much complexity. And I think your point around getting like agreeing on the language and the terms that we're going to use as an organization have always started there first. Like, let's like, how do you think, what do you think customer experience means? Let's start defining that and putting mm -hmm. structure around that. And then what are the, what are the different tools that we're going to use to be able to get there? Right. And then what does that mean for different teams even as well? I think getting that common language is super important. I just don't, and I'm going to be critical of maybe, and I shouldn't do this, but of big CX, like we don't do that well enough. And you're right. Like there's always the, the, this practice is evolving and continues mm -hmm. to evolve. Maybe that's part of it. But I really do think that creating your own lexicon for your company, whatever that makes sense, right? And then applying the different tools and whatever those make sense as you're trying to accomplish a goal for that user, for that customer, for that business or employee, I think is a really, is an excellent point, a really important one. So like, I'm really curious of, of people, like who do you admire in your space and why? Like, who, do you, Wait, who, do you, like, who do you look up to? Because yeah. many, like you're, you're an adjunct, you, you've run your own business. Obviously you've got great content out there and we'll talk about where to go. Folks can go find it, et cetera. But like, who do you look up to in this space, Kevin? It's interesting. I think the longer I do it, the more the people I look up to are not in the space in a sense. I mean, which isn't to say I don't admire people. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. like everyone, probably I'm skimming through all the business books and all the latest. Everybody is coming in. I've got a stack here of service design books just to like wrap my head around how that's being yeah. discussed. And of course, what happens is that the, the terms are, I, I guess maybe, maybe my bias or my belief that there's so many of these concepts overlapping. I mean, every, every book has its own version on how to do research and so on. Yeah. So I, I, I admire, it's easy for me to admire the kind of the, the canons in the business world, anyway, Drucker and yeah. Warren Buffett and, or even more contemporary jobs or Elon Musk, or even more recently, it's like a Bob Iger from uh, Disney. But, yeah. and then of course there are lots of peers and authors and people in this space. But as I, I, I look at, I even kind of drills back even to my first experience at Herman Miller, the, one of the early leaders of a guy named Max Dupree wrote a book called Leadership is an Art. And talks about how the purpose of a leader is to, you know, define reality and say thank you, <laughs> which I think is so. To me, the extent to which we attempt to 
bringing a, a level of leadership to our clients. I, I mean, I'm interested in the practice, don't get me wrong, but yeah. I also feel like I think the, the longer I go in my career, it's, it's this bigger picture that can help. And if you can help shape that sort of, as, as, as Max was saying, sort of define reality, it's a way to kind of move things forward in a, mm-hmm. in a different way. So presenting a, a point of view to get there. I mean, it, there's a lot obviously to do when it comes down to the on the practitioner level, sure. but that's going to continue to evolve. And there's it's it's also it's also sometimes feels like every idea, new idea, is is just kind of borrowed from a previous version of it that was 20 years ago. So mm-hmm. which is to say there's aren't new ideas. It's just that it's just an, it's an evolving school of thought yeah. as people yeah. develop new ways of thinking about sort of a new context. I love define reality and say thank you. That really <laughs> feels like it just really encapsulates like servant leadership on some level too, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Where do you go for inspiration, Kevin? Well, again, I, I'm a big. I mean, I'm a big fan of all all the usual kind of suspects. Probably, I mean, Simon Sinek or Dan Pink or Scott Galloway, people like this. But yeah. I, for me, I guess for personally, I I get increasingly intrigued by the people. It's amazing how fluid we can get you know, we have access how fluidly we can get access to uh podcasters and so on and yeah. things like this right so i mean somebody like a sam harris because of his sort of clarity clarity of thought and sort of the focus on incentives and outcomes and things that i mean i find that you know to be uh really fascinating um, or even the uh, you've all know harari harari i think his name is mm-hmm. but he, he you know he and he's a, he's a historian essentially, right? But I guess for me, again, the extent to which you know, kind of circling back to the top as I think about kind of the macro changes, yeah. he's one of the most articulate people talking about the really seismic changes that are affecting us as a culture and what businesses mm-hmm. are dealing with. Whether we sort of are almost tectonic level changes that I think aren't easily identifiable, but are. But if you start to recognize them, they start. You can see how they kind of have impacts on nearly every organization today. I'm, I'm sure you've had the same kind of experience. It's like it's if we can get down to the root of the the problem, it's a little bit easier to break loose in terms of mm-hmm. helping to reorient organizations. You mentioned Scott. I actually had Scott Galloway as my brand professor at Stern. Oh, did you really? Uh, awesome. in my MBA. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't return my emails anymore. But that's okay. <laughs> I don't take it. Yeah, it's a bigger, um, bigger deal, I guess. Right? Yeah, much, much better deal. <laughs> Kevin, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today talking to us just about the connectivity between purpose and down down to the experience. And I think it's just a topic that a lot of folks are struggling with today. So hopefully- Thank you so hopefully, much, Bill. Yeah. I, yeah. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Oh right. man, the pleasure is all mine and ours. And look, hey, where can people find you uh, if they want to get in touch or learn more about what you're doing? Sure. Well, I mean, the easiest spot is is my my firm, peopledesign.com. I'm in a number of other places, but that's, that's, the, that's the best starting place. You can find our book and consulting and all the rest of the things we do there. Very cool. Very cool. Thanks again. All right, everybody. Great, great show. We're out. Talk to you soon, everyone. Thanks for listening to Be Customer Led with Bill Stakos. We are grateful to our audience for the gift of their time. Be sure to visit us at BeCustomerLed.com for more episodes. Leave us feedback on how we're doing or tell us what you want to hear more about. Until next time, we're out. We're out.